This is Richard Soros, banking for security.com. I'm at Black Hat 2007 in Las Vegas with Dr. Andrew Lindell, chief scientist for Ladder Knowledge Systems. Dr. Lindell, can you talk to us about Aladdin Knowledge Systems products and how they might be of use in the banking industry? Uh, yes, uh, Aladdin was uh, founded in 1985. It's been around for over 20 years. It's a company with a long history of security. Uh, one of the chief um, products I think which should be most interest is uh, strong authentication. Uh, we have a, a wide series of products going from uh, one-time passwords to smart card authentication to combined products. Uh, what we can actually offer is uh, a series of different products all within the one organization for the different customers. Those who need high levels of security will have a very high level and those who uh, are less uh, critical users can uh, get a, also a good security product but at a cheaper cost. And that sort of uh, variety uh, we can offer both usability and security and uh, a good management system together. Usability and security is a hot topic these days. Could you discuss for our listeners what is it about security and usability that makes it a challenge? Well, one of the big problems with, uh, user, with security in general is that it, we require something from the customer, from the user. If the user uh, uh, is not going to cooperate, then our security system will be completely bypassed. We all know about sticking uh, passwords on a sticky note, but it goes much further, farther, further than that as well. And uh, so building usability into the security product is, is actually a security issue itself. It's not just a usability issue. And uh, I've seen a number of uh, solutions that have been completely ruined by the lack of uh, willingness by the users to actually cooperate properly. But if you offer them something as well, so don't just give them a smart card, but put the uh, proximity to get into the door within the same device and give them a flash as well, and they'll actually be happy to get the device. They'll uh, get added benefit. Maybe you'll have a password management system that they can even use at home as well to make their life easier. Then they'll be happy to accept it. And once they're happy to accept it, then they'll actually cooperate with the security policy and it'll give a much stronger solution overall. Banking regulations are now requiring that banks adopt a multi-factor authentication system. How would your solution set address that issue? So we have a number of multi-factor solutions, one-time passwords, which are uh, in a hardware device, and also smart card solutions. The advantage of uh, using a smart card solution with uh, public key cryptography is that we can also actually prevent phishing attacks in a, in a very uh, strong way. One-time passwords, as we know, are a good solution and they're very helpful and they're definitely much better than using regular passwords, but they are still vulnerable to, to phishing attacks. Whereas uh, if you're using a smart card-based solution and you're working with SSL with client authentication, then actually this completely bypasses all phishing attacks. So the phishing attack, even a man in the middle active phishing attack, works by presenting a different website with a different certificate to the user, if not no certificate. And uh, then that man in the middle or that phishing site will be unable to actually authenticate further onto the bank because it needs to somehow get a digital signature which we won't have with, on, on the correct information. So a smart card solution for authentication to a bank for a high value customer is highly recommended today given the, the prevalence of phishing attacks. Are you releasing any new products here at Black Hat? Um, there's no new products here today, but uh, we're continually releasing new products and updates and additional features. Okay, well, thank you for your time today, Dr. Lindell. Thank you. This is Richard Soros, BankInfoSecurity.com. I'm at Black Hat 2007 Las Vegas with Brian Contos, the Chief Security Officer with ArcSight. Can you tell us a little bit about your company and what your service offerings are? 
Yeah, absolutely. So our company is named ArcSight, and really our, our focus is on originally security, information, and event management, or SIM. Now, within that area, we have a number of offerings. We have ArcSight ESM, which is our enterprise security manager, which is our flagship product, focused on things like event collection, correlation, analysis, reporting, um, and things of that nature. In addition to that, we also have some log collection and aggregation appliances that we offer for uh, more of a, a high-speed log collection slash storage slash high-level searching capabilities that's fully integrated with our product suite. And uh, recently, we added a, a networking capacity to our company, which is in the form of ArcSight TRM and NCM, which is the threat response manager and the network uh, control manager. Now, these devices are focused on incident remediation and device configuration. So across our product suite, really, we have a security perspective, an insider threat perspective, and a very, very strong focus on compliance in the forms of things like IT governance, uh, certainly PCI, uh, as well as things like Sarbanes-Oxley. Are you announcing any new products or new service releases here at Black Hat? So we don't have anything specific to announce at, uh, at Black Hat, but we did recently come out with ArcSight 4.0 about a month and a half ago. Now, in ArcSight 4.0, we introduced some very interesting concepts such as uh, trend reporting, which allows people to look at their uh, threat security posture over long periods of time. Uh, for example, am I more secure based on my risk posture this week than I was last week or this year as opposed to last year? So it sort of watches your, the maturity cycle of your, uh, your security awareness program. In addition to that, we introduced this whole idea of identity and role correlation. So we're expanding beyond the idea of simple IP and MAC address and device correlation and trying to track things back to specific people. For example, Bob scans his card to come into the building, he logged into the network, he downloaded these files to his iPod, uh, and then he scanned out of the building, for example. So we're trying to basically thread that session needle, if you will, to really connect events to actual people. What's the horizon look like? What are some emerging threats or emerging issues you're trying to deal with? Sure. I think one of the, the biggest issues that we're seeing lately is the fact that um, people have an increased focus on that identity role piece. Uh, there, there's been a paradigm shift in terms of looking at security from the outside in to now looking at it from the inside out. So we're seeing organizations that want to look at their, their mainframes, their legacy products, their critical assets, and then maybe phase two or three, they're looking at the firewalls and IDSs and routers, the more traditional things that we'd consider part of security. Uh, another big driver, which is which is very interesting, is compliance is driving a lot of opportunities now, uh, especially around PCI. So we're seeing the budgets for security and compliance really starting to melt, and people are looking for a solution that's much more holistic. So instead of just compliance or instead of just security, you're able to address uh, both of those in tandem. So how would a COO or a CEO actually utilize your product at the very highest level of decision making? Yeah, that's a great question. So initially our product was certainly designed for uh, security analysts and engineers and perhaps line-level managers. But over the last few years, we've really matured it up to the level where a director, a vice president, or even a C-level executive uh, can obtain value in the terms of risk reports, um, high-level dashboards to look at their uh, compliance posture. And, and what's really unique, I think, and this is happening over maybe the last nine months, is that we're seeing people using security to make critical business decisions. Uh, for example, a number of banks leverage our product, um, and we have one customer in particular that acquires a lot of smaller banks uh, throughout the year. And their 
process of acquisition, their IT process, their operational process is very tightly involved with their security standards and they leverage ArtSight uh, very heavily to ensure that as soon as they acquire this bank and they start integrating their networks and their controls and things of that nature, that everything is monitored, they have fully integrated threat response and fully integrated network configuration so they can boilerplate their solutions across. So this whole idea of moving from bits to business, if you will, is becoming very powerful and a lot of executives want that high level risk assessment, that compliance posture view to help them make better business decisions. One of the requirements oftentimes for compliance is to be able to verify a company's security posture. Is your company considered a third-party reporter for the purpose of audit and verification? Yeah, so we're actually currently working with some auditors and some uh, third parties to go through a verification process with us. We have a, a, a very unique uh, setup within ArcSite where we do uh, NIST 800-53 controls uh, under ISO 17799 uh, procedures. And we wrap these two, we basically call it ISO over NIST. And it really allows us to have a very unique and holistic approach to security and compliance. So we feel that this is a, a core capability. Now as far as third party verification in terms of this is absolutely, you know, the product that can be used for auditing, we are looking at to see if there are some types of certifications and things for that venue. But I can tell you this, we do have a number of people that are using us for compliance, for IT governance, and using us with internal and external auditors successfully today. You also wrote a book called Enemy at the Water Cooler Dealing with Insider Threats. Can you talk a little bit about what the insider threat picture is looking like and how companies or maybe best practices that companies are using to face that threat? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for years, um, people have been talking about uh, threats from inside being, uh, you know, easier to perpetrate, um, faster to perpetrate, and much more difficult to detect than attacks from the outside. Um, think of a terrorist, for example. If you're trying to, you know, hack into a nuclear power plant, are you going to waste all your cycles and your ROI and actually trying to hack them from the outside or simply trying to recruit somebody from the inside? So it's, it's a major problem. Um, so the way people are addressing this is, and I, I think employees there are very um, sort of open to it. It doesn't become a privacy issue anymore in terms of I want to be sure I'm monitoring what's happening on my critical applications, what's happening with my user base, and how they're interacting with those critical applications, databases, and assets, etc. So we're seeing people, again, that sort of inside outlook, that uh, you know, the jawbreaker, I want security through and through instead of the M&M idea where it's just hard on the outside, soft on the inside. That's the approach that individuals are taking, and the way that that comes out in IT is really to look at those critical assets, to look at those applications and databases, pull out that information and intermix that with user identity role type data. So you have empirical evidence of what somebody did, how they did it, when they did it, etc. And that's really, I think, the best way to sort of detect the insider threat. I don't think you're ever going to stop it, but I think you can really go a long way to actually detecting and responding to these threats. A great information. Thank you for your time today, Brian. Thank you so much. This is Richard Swart with BankInfoSecurity.com. We're at Black Hat 2007 Las Vegas. I'm with Kevin Overcash, the Vice President of Product Management for Breach Security, one of the leading vendors of web application firewalls. Kevin, I was wondering if you could tell our listeners about what new threats are emerging and what is changing in the market and why web application firewalls are becoming so critical. Sure, absolutely. Well, that's a, a two-part question there. Um, some of the web application threats that we're seeing uh, here at Black Hat being announced by the researchers, it's really uh, starting to use web as a, a channel through which to start attacking internal networks uh, with a lot of the network security types of attacks that they've been developing over the years. Um, and to address these types of threats, obviously we've, we've uh, at Breach Security have designed a suite of web application firewalls specifically designed 
to uh, protect against the various attack techniques used to break into web applications. A lot of banks are implementing web services. In fact, many of the financial institutions are leading adopters of that. What are some of the security concerns with web services? Um, very good question. Uh, web services exposes the same types of uh, vulnerabilities to attack techniques that are that are used in uh, to attack web applications. So, from the very basic and the most dangerous SQL injection and cross-site scripting attacks that have been a, a huge uh, problem for the web application space in that they lead to identity theft and uh, the theft of uh, credit card information uh, for PCI requirements and such, these attacks are now starting to be moved, transitioned over to the web services space and are attacking and, and uh, exploiting these vulnerabilities for web applications um, doing web services. The new standard being adopted, which is going to require either static analysis of code or web application firewall acquisition, what are the risks and the benefits of those technologies and why should someone adopt your technology? Sure. Um, the PCI data security standard is a, a new, uh, semi-new standard for um, any organization that is using credit card information uh, to conduct business. Now, the standard has been recently updated uh, to version 1.1 1 .1, um, with a new requirement specifically for web security. This is in response to the, the huge uh, wave of attacks that we've seen uh, that are uh, against web applications that have yielded a significant identity theft results. And this new requirement states that web applications using credit cards must either uh, perform a secure code review of the uh, application code for every version that's put out. And typically, this is going to involve an outsourced organization. It's going to cost between twenty and forty thousand dollars, depending on the size of your application, and can take from two to four weeks, delaying the release of your app, unfortunately. And the alternative to that is to be able to deploy a, a new tool uh, called a web application firewall. These is a, a new suite of tools that are really designed specifically to protect against the various attack techniques used to break into web applications. Uh, they have uh, really matured a lot over the last several years to the point where they are easily deployed, able to learn the, the accurate, uh, what we call profile of the application, and thereby uh, accurately uh, detect and block against these web application threats, preventing identity theft, and uh, also a lot of these uh, web application firewalls have built-in logging and auditing capabilities specifically designed to address specific requirements in the PCI standard. How would your product be useful for a smaller credit union or a non-enterprise level bank? Sure. Um, we actually have, a, as I mentioned, a full suite of, of these uh, web application firewalls and have um, recently released a, a new web app firewall specifically designed for smaller organizations, allowing them to quickly deploy a web application firewall to meet uh, the PCI standards, the Mod Security M1100 um, web application firewall. Well, thank you for your time today, Kevin. Question. Thank you. Hi, this is Richard Torres, BankInfoSecurity.com. I'm with Mandeep Kara with Semzik. Mandeep, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Richard. We're trying to give our listeners a sense of what's new in the market. Can you talk a little bit about what Semzik is offering and what's happening in this market space? Sure. So we are in the web application security market, and one of the big issues on the app security market has been that people don't focus on testing all of their applications. So they focus on specific applications only in the development and QA stage, but then they forget about all the production apps, which is 99% of, of the apps deployed out there. 
making them extremely vulnerable to hackers coming in. So with our new release that we just announced, uh, it's the Sensic Hailstorm Enterprise 5.0 product. It basically allows companies to do continuous testing as well as allows integration of other tools, so making it a full risk management type of a solution uh, for any enterprise uh, for web applications. What trends are you seeing in terms of web application security vulnerabilities? So we actually just released a Q2 trends report now focused on web application vulnerabilities. So one of the key things that we're still seeing is that a vast majority, so roughly about 70% of total published vulnerabilities are app-related now, which is a scary thought, especially given the fact that only 1% of, or less than 1% of the, the total companies are doing anything about app, app security testing. So if you think, if you do the comparison, you have 70% of vulnerabilities in web applications. Less than 1% of the companies are doing anything about it. So where would the hackers go? They'll go where the vulnerabilities are. And so companies are continuing to get hacked, and they will continue to get hacked and might not even know it. So they need to do something now and quickly. Why is it that only 1% of companies are dealing with this problem? So big issue has been lack of awareness, uh, lack of education. Uh, majority of the uh, companies don't even understand what application security means. Uh, they think having a network firewall an intrusion detection system on the network side will protect them from web applications as well, which is not true at all because hackers are coming in through the same forms and same fields as the customers do. So companies just don't, don't realize what's involved in app security. So that's been a huge barrier. We are raising the awareness by doing a lot of different things, like uh, we, we have uh, this series called Hackiners, which is uh, uh, teaching people how hackers attack you and how to protect yourself. We do a lot of things like uh, trends reports. Again, so we're all trying to build the awareness for companies so they understand what app security is. And also making it easier from a solution perspective so they, they don't have to think too much on in terms of how to implement an app security type of solution. So for example, we also offer software as a service model where companies actually can call us. We do the remote testing for, for their applications, provide them a vulnerability report with remediation. So now they don't have to worry about hiring people, having app security resources, all they do is just give us a call, we do the testing, they see all the results in a dashboard, and so you know, it's, it's a very quick solution for them. This could very easily be built into their PCI or other regulatory compliance initiatives. Yeah, so we actually have separate categories for different compliance, so including PCI, gram bleach Act, SB 1386, California IB 1950, uh, HIPAA, cyber and so on and so forth. So we've actually created specific categories for all of those compliance issues, so now they can just drag that category and say, tell me if I'm compliant or not, so it's, it's a very easy easy way of doing things. One more question, Mandeep. What's the best practice in terms of where you would integrate app testing in terms of your software security development lifecycle? So Richard, there's been a lot of hype around software development lifecycle and testing early, uh, like in development and QA groups, um, uh, to find find the vulnerabilities early. And and we're all for it. I think it's a it's a good idea to do check check for vulnerabilities early. It's a good idea to fix them early. However. Again, people forget about all the apps that are in production. So we, when we define software development lifecycle, we don't just consider that as development, QA, and infosec. We believe it goes through operations as well. So you have to think of application, where all the applications are sitting. So some of them, less than 1% in development and QA stage. About 99% of them are already operational deployed and, and, and with the possibility of getting hacked. So we think that whole cycle of Development, QA, and operations, all the apps need to be tested 
in what we call the continuous testing model. So, so you need to be continuously testing all of your applications. Don't wait for the production apps to come back into development because in the meantime, hackers are going to attack you. So you're basically leaving your doors wide open. So that, that's a huge problem. So we, again, we, we think you need to be in, in all stages of the, of the application. Thank you for advice. Thank you, Mandeep. This is Richard Soros, BankInfoSecurity.com. I'm with Iftak Ahmed, who's the Director of Security Research for Fingen Security. Iftak, can you tell us a little bit about your product offering and how it could benefit executives in the financial industry? Sure. Uh, basically, what we offer is a secure web gateway product uh, defending at the gateway level all of the browsers of a corporation. What it means is that we're scanning the, all the web traffic that goes between the users in the company and wherever they're browsing to and enabling them to, uh, enabling basically protection for them in real time from any kind of malicious code. Most of the attacks that we're seeing today are focused on getting actual financial uh, gains out of the attack. That means financial fraud, identity theft, document theft, and so on and so forth, which means a lot to basically public companies as well as private companies when they're looking at IP or financial information <coughs> from inside the company. So that's the, the core competence or, or main focus on Finjan these days. And what is changing in the nature of attacks these days that should be of concern to our listeners? Well, the nature of attacks uh, in, in the modern web security uh, has changed a lot in the past 18 months. Attacks have gone from straight on trying to hack into or break the browser uh, into being much more evasive. Uh, they're not as much uh, public as they used to be. Uh, they're actually trying to tone down the visibility of the malicious code in order to reduce the visibility to security vendors uh, and have more time where the malware is actually applicable uh, and in, indefensible, basically. Uh, we're seeing that more than 90% or 95% of the attacks are obfuscated, which means that the source code, the code, the attack code is obfuscated. It doesn't look as code, and it can only be ran at the browser level, which means that most of the, uh, or all of the signature-based defenses are rendered uh, useless at the gateway level. And we're seeing more and more attacks that, as I mentioned before, are evasive. They'll hit only once for a specific IP. They will uh, ignore specific geographical regions because they're targeting other regions and they know that specific geographical regions uh, are more prone to have security vendors scanning the internet and trying to catch malware. Uh, so this is basically what we're seeing today, which is a lot different than what we've seen 18 months and uh, 24 months ago. How could your product help in vulnerability assessments for risk analysis? Uh, one of the products that we have uh, is called an RU Safe. That's a, basically a passive version of the gateway product that we offer, and it enables you to hook into a span port or a, a sniffer port in the network and passively analyze all the traffic. So you can conduct an audit without actually doing any changes in the network infrastructure to get an idea on, on the exposure levels that you currently have in terms of web attacks. And that will enable you to do some, some basic assessment of what you're exposed to, what kind of uh, behavior are your users uh, uh, conducting over the web, and then take action according to that without making any, as I, as I mentioned before, any infrastructure changes or any uh, huge commitments to, to the actual process. 
So does your application scale to the enterprise level, or would you also have services for the smaller banks and credit unions? Um, we our, our scalability problem is down downward. Uh, we usually start from a thousand users and up, so uh, we definitely scale to the enterprise levels. Uh, we have major customers with uh, more than uh, 100,000 users that we're actually uh, actively protecting as we speak, uh, from governmental organizations to network, network providers, major corporations. Uh, these are the, the majority of our customers. We can scale down to, I would say, the hundreds of users, uh, but we do not have a solution for uh, uh, small businesses or, or home users. Uh, again, this is a gateway product that targets uh, the protection of a large-scale network rather than a small small home network or SMB network. Now, some of our listeners are not familiar with Malico detection. Could you very briefly explain what exactly your product does? Sure. Uh, what the product does is it looks at the actual code that the website is sending to the browser in real time and is able to understand the intent of the code. Just like in a criminal investigation, uh, when you're talking to a suspect or, or uh, trying to interrogate a suspect, uh, there's a lot of criminal intent detection uh, in mind from the interrogator point of view. Uh, this is the best analogy that I would have for our product. It, it looks at the code, it can understand it in real time. We have some very sophisticated uh, intellectual property uh, and patents on that subject. And we're basically, we, we basically are able to make a decision in real time as we see the code and, and figure out whether its intent is malicious or benign. And according to that, block it or allow it inside the network. Okay, thank you for your time today, Yiftak. Sure, thank you. This is Richard Sport. I'm here with BankInfoSecurity.com at Black Hat 2007 in Vegas. And I noticed a lot of signs. We speak CVE and we speak CWE floating around the conference. So I stopped by the MITRE booth to find out what they were doing here. I'm here with Robert Martin of MITRE. So Robert, could you tell us what is it that MITRE is doing here? Basically, MITRE uh, works with many different groups to um, bring standards to different parts of the security problem space. So the uh, booths you saw were vendors who have adopted and incorporated into their products some of those different standards. But basically, we've, um, you know, over the couple, well, about nine, ten years, we've been looking at different areas of security that organizations face and try to figure out how they can be done better. And quite often that comes to having a common understanding of some concept. Um, what I mean by that is, for instance, a vulnerability in a piece of software. Well, up until MITRE started working the CVE program, which you will one of the signs you saw, um, all the different uh, research tools and uh, people who offered up advice about uh, vulnerabilities called things by different names. And so you didn't really know when they were talking about the same thing, when advice from one uh, place could be used to uh, be added to what you found in another tool. CVE came out, Common Vulnerabilities and Exposures, is a common identifier that pretty much everybody uses now. Of course, it took a little while to build that up, but basically, no matter which kind of vulnerability scanning tool or advice site about how to deal with vulnerabilities, 
when you look at a Microsoft bulletin, if you look at the technical details, you'll see the CVE name. You'll also see it in Apple advisories and Sun, Erratas from a Red Hat, lots of different people, Novell. So the idea is they all now use that as a way of uniquely identifying a known vulnerability. So that helps people correlate, helps you manage, helps you bring together different tools. That's one example. We've got others, the CWE that you talked about, the common weakness enumeration, is aimed at um, basically how does an application become vulnerable? How, do you, how does it have an exploitable vulnerability? Well, it can be because of an architectural issue, a design issue, or it can be an implementation issue. And so all of those CVEs that are out there in publicly known software um, actually came about because of different CWEs, like a buffer overflow, cross-site scripting error. And so because a lot of the infrastructure of organizations have become more secure, the operating systems, the network components, what people today are taking advantage of is all the applications in an enterprise. So those same challenges that the big software developer organizations have been working on for years now is something that every organization that writes software has to deal with. And there really was no roadmap, no way of understanding how tools could be helping you. And that's what the CWE, the Common Weakness Enumeration, is about, to lay out that landscape so that people can actually step up to it, bring in automation, train their people, check the people who develop the code for them. What weaknesses have you reviewed this code for? And get a handle on that end of vulnerabilities. So, you know, the, the big thing that MITRE tries to do is we work with government, academia, industry to find tractable problems that can be addressed that everybody can benefit by getting rid of a little bit of the chaos and make things more uh, scalable. Security has evolved. It used to be the, the network essentially was a security. Now, from what you're saying, it sounds like the applications, the software itself is the issue. How, are, how is the use of standards and how is the use of measurement going to save money or help protect our companies? Well, basically, we're going to have to step up to the fact that everybody needs to understand the secureness of their applications. Um, because, you know, we put a lot of applications out on websites or made backroom systems available to uh, your customers or your partners, your supply chain, basically anybody can be a point of entry into everybody's business. So now we're going to have to, as part of due diligence, have to understand what risks are left. And so these standards can help us get a handle on what is enough, who's done what, have they done enough to, you know, not eliminate the risk, but, you know, control it and manage it. So standards are to allow common understanding, to allow different tools to work together, to uh, have a standard understanding of concepts so that you can have expectations, agreements, and so forth. So 
I'm not sure that the cost is going to be that their savings, but costs can be reduced of doing the job by bringing in automation, by having you know work that can be moved around to different groups because you know they're looking for the same things and so forth. So it's it's more about keeping the uh, the scaling that if today you tried to bring in personnel to do this by hand, you may be able to do it for small applications. But if you're going to do it for all of your applications and all of your partners' applications so that they can tell you what they've done, it has to be done through automation. And that means standards and interface agreement type of things. And that's where these different efforts we're doing are trying to bring the communities together that are knowledgeable in what can be done and how to do it so that the tool vendors, service providers can actually you know, enhance their offerings which they may not be capable of doing without a little outside help. Aside from CW and CVE, if our listeners are not familiar with some of the major evolving standards, could you give us a quick description of what some of those are? Okay, well, before I go on, you can find a lot of this under a website called makingsecuritymeasurable.mitre.org. So if I, you know, if you have interest in more of them, they're all there. But basically, there's standards for configuration, um, how applications are configured, how your operating systems are configured, you know, what services are locked down and so forth. So there's a couple standards in that area. Um, I'll just rattle off some acronyms, XCCDF, OVAL, um, CPE, and CCE. What those are is the first ones, uh, a language for uh, in XML putting how to check configuration settings and policy guidance. OVAL is a language that partners with the FCCDF to actually tell you how to go look into a real live computer and look in at file names, registry keys, and so on. The things that actually get interpreted to tell whether or not you're compliant to one of those policies. And then the other CPE, that's a platform enumeration because tools are actually very uh, unintelligent and literal. If one tool knows about Windows 2000, the other one knows about Win2K. As far as the tools are concerned, they know nothing in common. So you need to have the ability for them to pass information in an unambiguous way, and that's what CPE does for things like operating system name, application name, and so forth. Then when you get into the configurations, you may want to have a policy about how old passwords are. You know, passwords can't be more than you know six months old, and then you need to change them. Well, that's passwords on your network, passwords on your application servers, your file servers, your firewalls, all the different elements that have passwords. Well, how do I figure out if I'm compliant to a policy about passwords have to be less than six months old? Well, if you attach an identifier to that concept of password age, uh, CC, a common control enumeration, then you can actually have, and the tool vendors support that, you can then say, okay, where are all the results for that CCE, bring them together, and that's your measure of whether you're compliant with that policy. So it doesn't matter which vendor tools you're using and what your specific, specific policy is, you know, six months, three months, 
but the idea is that concept can be correlated back and you can show compliance. So these are the kinds of standards, you know, each one has different scopes. Some are simple, some are languages, some are enumerations, but all of them are trying to allow automation to bring down the cost and allow it to be done in a bigger scale. Well, thanks for your time today, Robert. We appreciate your information. Again, that's makingsecuritymeasurable.minor.org. Hi, this is Richard Swartz, BankInfoSecurity.com. We're with Ryan Berg, Chief Scientist and Co-Founder of Ounce Labs. Ryan, can you tell our listeners about your product and how it might be useful to the banking and finance industry? So what Ounce Labs does is Ounce Labs produces a suite of products geared towards analyzing source code, static source code analysis. And that process is really taking apart the source code, which is the foundation of the applications that drive a lot of businesses, taking that apart and decomposing that into a set of uh, sort of a meta language, if you will, that the announcement uses to, to sort of ferret out or look for security weaknesses, security flaws, whether they be you know, web-based web applications, whether it's a thick client, whether it's sort of back-end storage systems, whether it's middleware components. Um, it's really built to analyze all across the entire you know, tier of an enterprise, looking at the source code and identifying those weaknesses or vulnerability flaws, whether it could be lack of proper configuration, could be mis mishandling of uh, encryption technologies or lack of using encryption technologies, could be looking for malicious backdoors. Um, a lot of people first think of static source code analysis sort of finding those low-hanging fruit, the SQL injections, cross-site scripting, you know, the, those things that, that cause some code to execute on the machine when it's executing against the database in the case of SQL injections or executing against the client application and things like cross-site scripting. Um, those sort of low-hanging fruit that I sort of consider, you know, sort of the, the, the table stake for any source code analysis product. Where else Labs differentiates itself, so we're looking at other kinds of weaknesses, whether it be encryption, you know, covert channels, backdoors, malicious code, identifying those areas of weaknesses in the kind of applications code as well. Okay. How could your product be used to aid in compliance and regulatory compliance issues? Well, I think one of the things that, that's really starting to come out is, you know, I'm sort of PCI sort of on the, on the forefront there. If you read between the lines of things like GLBA and SOX compliance, you know, when you look at being able to sign or, you know, sign your name to a financial statement to make sure that they're an accurate record of, of the financial health of your company, well, where are those statements being produced from? It's being produced from a bunch of middleware components, custom code that you've written. So any weaknesses or security there can directly, you know, impact the security or, or, you know, your lack of knowledge about how accurate those financial statements can be. So people don't often think about looking at their source code or looking at things that affect them from GLBA and SOC. But, it, you know, primarily those things are things that can have an impact on those kinds of, um, on those kinds of issues. You know, PCI, the latest version, version 1.1, specifically calls out in section 6 that you can do either, you know, web application firewall or static source code analysis. A lot of organizations I talk to are really sort of confused. I think PCI is great from a, a, a standard standpoint because it, it outlines a lot of really good best practices, but I think they've left some sort of confusion in the marketplace when they sort of lump in web application firewall and source code analysis as being two ways that you can address, you know, or be PCI compliant because they really are complementary technologies that aren't in either or. Web application firewalls are, are great for some things but aren't, don't replace the, the need for doing static source code analysis. So hopefully in the future PCI will call that more, but Looking at, you know, PCI is sort of the first 
standard that directly references using static social analysis as part of a compliance uh, regulation. What sort of reporting tools does your product offer? I mean, one of the concerns that we have is if a chief executive officer or a CIO is overwhelmed by the level of detail that can be provided, how do you handle that challenge? Well, one of the things that we do is we, we provide, uh, you know, multiple levels of reporting that, you know, so you can drill down in depth. At the high level, we have, you know, basic sort of metrics and planning information that can trend, you know, you know, high, medium, low, red, yellow, and green. Very simple, you know, colorized way of, of being able to look at or measure your application security or looking at, you know, varying applications, you know, across your enterprise. Because most enterprise organizations, they may have hundreds if not thousands of applications. And many times, they don't even know that they have that many applications. You know, you look at a, a bank, traditionally think of, people think of banks sort of this brick and mortar, move money, but these are major software houses. They have huge software development teams developing all this custom software from ERP systems to trading systems. And, and all those things, you want to look across your enterprise and say, well, you know, do I want to treat my ERP system the same as my out, you know, my outward-facing, you know, main portal for my, you know, my trusted parties or main portal, you know, to the internet for my regular customers. So being able to look across your enterprise and say, well, this application, you know, based on its profile or its risk profile in organization, can be able to categorize that risk at a level that makes sense to be able to make business decisions. You know, you want to you want to take source code analysis away from looking at, you know, I have a SQL injection vulnerability on line 10 in file foo. Because, you know, an executive, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, it, you know, hopefully they'll understand that, that the risk associated with SQL injection, but you need, really need the bubble information of, you know, where's the risk across the enterprise? I have outward-facing web applica applications that the user community is, you know, the internet. So I have a, a broader range of risk categories, things I want to pay attention to in that application, versus something that is my internal audit and control application that's used my, by my internal audit team. I have a different risk profile, so I don't want to treat a SQL injection, you know, the same for those because it's what you know what data they actually access. So I want to be able to prioritize my, my remediation efforts and my look at where do I need to make what sort of corrective actions across a broader look at the enterprise. So we, we provide a portfolio manager, a lot of you know managers, executives to look at a portfolio of applications to make business level decisions of you know maybe you know maybe if I want to look at two outsource vendors, maybe if I have you know I have two different outsource vendors that are developing certain pieces of software, maybe I want to make a decision that says we don't want to use this outsource vendor anymore because, you know, another access I want to make my decision is, you know, quality but also security. So I can look at the code and say, this code isn't up to our security standards, so maybe we need to switch, you know, our outsource provider. And that's sort of an executive management level decision and not bury down the weeds that I have this vulnerability in this, this file, in this project, or this application. So, so we're sort of trying to raise that information up to allowing executives to make business decisions and also, you know, looking at security as an access to make those um, decisions. It could be merger and acquisitions, right? You know, if I'm a, a financial institution, I'm acquiring a bunch of smaller banks, and they have a bunch of other internal process systems that sort of built, but one access that I want to make a decision based on, do I want to use theirs or one that I've already developed? But one access should be making a, that decision on is security. It's trying to raise information you can make security level decisions that affect your business, and raising information out of, you know, the, the standard you have this vulnerability on this file, kind of, kind of thing. Well, your company and, and Fortify are probably the two best known vendors in this area. How do you differentiate your product from theirs? I think one of the things that, that, that we sort of, that's, I guess the best way to answer this is we, 
I believe that we started on two different aspects of the marketplace. Fortify started at the developer. You know, they they, they built and focused on building tools for to, to make software developers write more secure code. And and we sort of took the approach and we started off early on saying that, that many organizations that we are some of our first customers never wrote a line of code. They didn't have any developers, but they're concerned about the security of the applications they're bringing in house, whether it's outsourced vendors, whether um, you know whether it's, it's you know, open source code. But they're trying to be the sort of gatekeeper role. So we built a, a, a product and set of tools to help people make those kind of decisions, focused on legacy software. And we spend more time looking at legacy software components than new application development. Because quite frankly, the core of our infrastructure, whether it's banking, whether it's telecom, whether it's health, this is all based on software that's already written. This isn't software that's already today. This is legacy applications, whether it's you know, C and C++, you know, Java, you know, some .NET, but we're seeing a lot of requests for things like classic ASP, you know, VBScript and, and VB6 applications, or COBOL. You know, when we first started talking to organizations saying, are you interested in, in doing security analysis with COBOL, well, everyone said, well, Oh wow, I've got a lot of cobalt. So you saw this, the, the eyes light up saying, oh yeah, I'm really scared of that because I don't know what it's there. So you know, a lot of the financial institutions are sort of built on this cobalt mainframe, backend stuff. So our focus has always been on enterprise applications, crossing multiple tiers, looking at legacy applications, and being able to sort of raise that information up to making decisions there, do I want to accept the software? We, you know, I think about three years ago we put out some some legal language on our website that you can download to talk about how to, you know, put into your contract for your outsource providers the ability saying that I'm going to hold you to a certain level of standard when it comes to delivering your software. And we're going to run, you know, a source code analysis tool over that software and we're not going to pay for software that doesn't meet a certain criteria. So we wrote, you know, that, that's been down on download thousands of times and we've got a lot of good traction with that. So our focus has always has been on the sort of enterprise side down. Now eventually we sort of being being fed back into development because at the end of the day a developer is responsible for for fixing the issue. Um, but we've been posting most on, on enterprise and, and legacy applications. Okay, well thank you for your time today, Ryan. Sure, no problem. Thanks. This is Richard Soros, Bank of Security. I'm with Paul Padgett, President and CEO of Core Security Technologies, the leading provider of automated penetration testing technology. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Richard. Could you explain, could you explain your product and how it can be used to aid the security of banking institutions? Sure. In fact, a number of banks uh, use our technology. Uh, Core Impact is a product that helps you test the security of your of your network. Uh, and uh, one of the things that, uh, as organizations build out their infrastructure and their security, what they're realizing is that it's, it's good to get some perspective on how an attacker might try to compromise their system. And Core Impact makes it easy for you to do that. And what is it that your product actually does? It's a, it's a software suite that your consultants or your fan testers will use to test the security of your network? Right. Well, both uh, consultants and then organizations themselves adopt our product. It's software that runs on a Windows desktop, but they can aim it at their network. They can aim it at, uh, at Linux boxes, at Windows boxes, Solaris boxes, etc. Um, and with the new capabilities, you can actually now aim them at end-user uh, workstations and see whether or not those workstations, those users, or whether the network can be compromised. You can aim it from inside the organization or outside. It's a software product that, uh, that runs attacks, and we build the software from, uh, and provide the software. We also build the attacks, um, and we build those from scratch and QA those and deliver those on a regular basis to our customers. 
So how would your product assist in meeting compliance and regulatory requirements? Right. One of the things we get asked about a lot is uh, is how do we meet compliance? Now that most organizations have had their end user teams or their management sign off on compliance, the question is how do you prove the compliance? And uh, so, for example, uh, one of the new capabilities we just shipped was, uh, was the capability to do client-side attacks or spear phishing attacks. Uh, you may have a policy that says the user is not supposed to open up an attachment that was sent by an unknown person um, with core impact, you can actually test a user organization, see whether or not they comply with that particular uh, uh, topic. Uh, so depending on what the compliance is, is an, that's an example of how you might test compliance. Uh, if it's compliance around patching servers and making sure that servers are up to date, you can actually test to see whether the patches were installed properly, whether you're actually operating at the level you're supposed to be at uh, for, for whatever compliance you've uh, agreed to. So um, we don't, uh, we help you, we're a tool to help you meet compliance. Um, we don't help you figure out what the compliance is, but we'll help you test it once you have established certain practice. What is changing the nature of threats facing financial banking institutions, and what should our executives be looking for? Right. Well, as, as you uh, probably know, and I'm sure many of your uh, readers and listeners know, um, the attack la landscape keeps changing, and the attackers don't play by any set of rules. Um, they'll do whatever it takes to get in and compromise an organization. So uh, one of the reasons I was speaking about the client-side attacks or the phishing attacks is the fact that uh, that's where a lot of the attackers are putting their efforts. They can combine their efforts of attacking with social engineering, calling you up, trying to compromise information from you, and then using that information um, in an attack, uh, whether it's an email or something that they launch against you. So um, the attackers, um, again, don't play by any set of rules, um, and that's one of the areas we see a huge shift from traditional attacks that might be aimed at a website to attacks that are now aimed at users. Um, the attackers will go at the weakest link in the organization, and they see the, they see the human factor as a big part of that. So that's an example of uh, the types of things we see happening in the market. Now, a lot of shops are still using Metasploit and open source tools. What differentiates your product from the open source community tools? Well, well most uh, large organizations uh, will not deploy uh, open source tools, particularly in this area. Uh, they want a company that has, has basically built something, that's tested it, uh, that is on the hook for the uh, the reliability of the product uh, and will stand behind the product, the validity of what's there. Uh, most organizations do not want to, and particularly in this particular in this area, do not want to write, run things that are that have been written in the wild. So uh, that's how we mostly differentiate uh, versus open source. Uh, the other big differentiation is around ease of use and service and the typical things that you get with a, a vendor that stands behind a product. So. Okay, well, thank you for your time today, Paul. Okay, Richard, thank you. This is Richard Suarez, Banking for Security.com. I'm at Black Hat 2007 in Las Vegas with Terry Ramos, who's the Director of Strategic Alliances for Qualys. Terry, can you tell us about Qualys and how you can meet the needs of the banking industry? 
Sure, thank you very much. So um, Qualys is a vulnerability management and policy compliance solution that's delivered in a software as a service um, model so customers are able to easily set up and manage vulnerabilities and compliance and how they're meeting certain government regulations. So in particular for financial industry, there are a lot of requirements around things like PCI, uh, GLBA, and how they're securing customer data and um, private information for consumers. And so we provide a solution that can be used to really manage and monitor that whole life cycle from identifying where things may be exposed to the workflow around remediating those types of issues and then even providing things like reporting up to their financial institutions. So for instance, a merchant who has to comply with PCI can use QualiScard to measure that, to perform the entire workflow and then provide reporting up to their acquiring bank that shows how they're managing that process and how they're in compliance with the PCI requirements. So what differentiates you your product from others on the service is that you're a pure software play? Yeah, we're very different in that we're software as a service. So yes, we deliver a software solution, but it's delivered over the web. So a customer or an end user really needs a browser to do all of the scanning. And for PCI, there's a requirement to do uh, scanning of all the external systems on the network. So for that, in that scenario, the customer simply logs in via web browser, is able to manage the process themselves. So it's not like a consulting where we go in and do that. They're able to manage that whole life cycle themselves and really put it into their processes. There's also a component for internal scanning and appliance, but it's tied back to that same SaaS model. So customers aren't deploying or managing the hardware or the databases or those things. It's really that service model that makes us unique. One of the challenges of compliance initiatives is the actual act of measuring and, and verifying. How do you actually measure and monitor compliance? Yeah, that's actually a very good question that's very unique for us. When you talk about a typical product solution, something that a company would buy and deploy inside their network, they have full access to that system. So they're able to modify records, change things, anything that they want to. Because of our model as a software as a service, we are considered a third-party option or third-party solution. So when a customer goes and uses Qualys, those reports can be validated and audited and our process is audited around that. So we've had customers who've been doing the ongoing vulnerability management process. When they have an auditor come in, they're able to just take those reports or give that auditor access to their solution and they can see that whole life cycle. So they can see not just vulnerabilities that are current, but how they've been remediating and the processes that they've been going through and how they're actually validating that things are being fixed and remediated. Same thing for PCI. For PCI, we've got that same model and what we do is customers are able to do that and we don't let them change things around PCI. So whatever we say is valid, right? We've found a vulnerability that needs to be remediated. Because we're that third-party entity, even though the customer is running it, that's still a valid form of certification. What sort of latency issues or what sort of um, bandwidth does your product consume? Yeah, so that's an interesting one. It always depends on the networks and the systems being scanned. but. Uh, 
Of course, there's some bandwidth. When you're talking typical external scans with no authentication, like what's required for PCI or a lot of the regulations, um, bandwidth is pretty minimal. So we typically have no effect on the networks or the systems being scanned. And we really focus on making sure that we don't do that, right? We can't affect production machines when we're doing scans. We don't have intrusive checks for that reason. We don't want to scan a customer's web server and take it offline. We don't want to slow down that network. So we're really particular on making sure that we don't do that. We have a scan engine that's optimized for performance, and we also allow customers to really manage how much uh, processes are being used so that if they see uh, performance issues, they can always slow it down very easily. And how long has Qualys been in business, and what sort of a customer base do you have? Yeah, Qualys has been in business since 1999. We have about 3,000 customers currently across all verticals. Um, some very large companies, when you talk about companies like eBay, Google, um, some of the very large financial companies. So we're across uh, multiple verticals. Is your product something that would be appropriate for a small community credit union or a smaller player, or is it more of an enterprise class product? Yeah, that's actually very good. So we have um, Close Card Enterprise, which is really focused on enterprise customers. And right now we have a um, large percentage of the Fortune 100. Now for SMBs, because of our delivery model, it's very cost effective for them. They get shared resources because of the SaaS model with all of our other customers. So they're not having to deploy servers and databases like I was saying. So they get those costs very reasonably. So we do have a very large SMB customer base just because they don't have to really deploy anything. They simply log in via their browser and they're able to get the full features, full functionality as a typical large enterprise. Right? They may not do things like scanning in 20 or 30 or 100 locations. They may have one or two offices that they're doing that in. But they still have that full functionality of the workflow, remediation, scanning, compliance, everything. Okay, well, thanks for your information, Terry. Okay, thank you very much. This is Richard Swart with BankInfoSecurity.com. I'm with Gregory Marchwinski, the CEO of Red Lambda, who is announcing and launching their company today here at Black Hat. Good afternoon, Gregory. Good afternoon. Could you explain what your company is doing and how your company might be of service to the banking and financial industry? Absolutely. Our company is focused on developing products that help provide security as a service across the infrastructure. And one of the key services we offer our first product is called Integrity. And it's a file sharing risk management tool that helps uh, security officers and administrators manage file sharing in an environment where it's, it's changing shapes and forms very quickly. So things like peer-to-peer -peer file services as an example, file transfer protocol, instant messaging, are all methods that are being used now to transfer files back and forth. And uh, quite often information is leaking outside of a secured environment by these methods because they aren't typically looked at for file distribution. And our, our first product, Integrity, is built at uh, helping security officers manage that environment through a, a foundational layer we call collaborative grid, which is the means in which we allow our, our application to run across the infrastructure, scale to the largest enterprises, and have a point of presence at every point without, throughout the network. This also allows us to be, be effective in wired environments, wireless environments, and uh, VPNs, virtual private networks, so that we can tie 
network traffic and usage behavior back to an individual and the identity and allow the security administration staff or officer to create policies that follow an, an individual or a group of individuals, users, groups, et cetera, throughout the enterprise independent of their access methodology. And our second product is called Assurity SRM, which is a security risk management so, uh, system. And that product is, is really a, 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 an advanced product that's geared into the network access control space as well as the end uh, risk management system for endpoint risk management. And in that environment, what we're uh, enabling the security staff to do is create management policies, security management policies that follow users throughout the environment and are in effect both pre-connect to the network, we can actually do pre-connect scans of the systems to meet certain requirements or criteria, and then once their users are actually connected to the network, monitor their, their network usage and traffic and behavior after they're connected and see everything that's going on and apply some very advanced technology to that behavior so that policies can be applied across the enterprise. Uh, all of this is built, again, on top of this collaborative grid infrastructure, which enables us to, to be uh, distributed across the environment and provides the security officers and administrators a very easy graphical user manner to create services across their infrastructure to create these security policies and put them into uh, effect and drive efficiencies from their staff. Well, it sounds like your product is aimed at essentially managing the environment from end to end. Could you talk about some of the challenges that extremely large organizations such as national banks or international organizations face when trying to manage their environments and how your products might be able to simplify or reduce costs for them? Absolutely. One of the thing that's, things that's interesting, there have been a lot of point solutions that have been applied into the security space. And those point solutions have created scalability issues. They've also created manageability issues for the staff that, that is, is ever downsized, right? The IT staff never grows. It always seems to shrink. So one of the things that, that we focus on, and, and the banking industry is a great example, where we're trying to drive efficiency so that uh, a smaller staff can use more advanced tools like ours to more effectively manage security across that enterprise and do it from wherever they're located. So again, access back into our application suite and management of that can be handled through any uh, access point into the network secured authentication and a security admin can uh, look at and receive alarms is 7 by 24, uh, log into the system independent of where they're at through a secure authenticated logon process and manage that environment. Uh, we also try and drive intelligence so that we're doing multifaceted correlation that um, today the staffs are so overworked and, and, and overwhelmed with data that a human can't possibly go through every log for all these best-of-breed point solutions that are out there. We use each of those solutions as input or sources of information for our system, and with that we can actually provide advanced multifaceted correlation that would help drive uh, decision points that otherwise would be missed. So everybody's driving towards a day zero attack response, if you will, or a day zero uh, defense. And through our application and uh, through our applications as well as some underlying technology, especially in the area of neural networking, where we're applying some advanced neural concepts, which are machine learning algorithms, applied into this space with our Assurity SRM product. We really want to drive that uh, advanced activity 
to uh, an administrator who can do very powerful things with, with the less and less of their time. How would your product deal with data leakage and securing, especially financial institutions with PCI DSS requirements? Well, one of the things we, we can uh, enable the users of our application to do is establish policies. Once those policies are violated, we can take quick affirmative action. So as an example, if, if there's a, an offender who may be uh, sending a particular type of file that's been flagged as uh, being very proprietary, should not be shared outside the environment, and our, our system catches that, we can actually shut down the network connectivity of that particular user through the network. So we interface to all the underlying network uh, gear so that uh, doing things like complete isolation at the port or uh, access control level can be done very easily. And it's all, again, very policy-driven and graphical so that the security officer or security administrators can create that policy and make it happen very quickly, very easily, and help nip the problem in the bud before it becomes an issue. How does your product scale and how much of a drain is it on the enterprise's resources? Uh, our product scales very well. Again, using this underlying collaborative grid technology, we can run our uh, foundation platform on commodity hardware that's already exists in the infrastructure and is, for the most part, running idle. I mean, it's been shown again and again that the majority of the CPU cycles on a lot of the infrastructure servers that are out there, are, are they're running at, at a, a fraction of their capacity. So we can uh, load our system onto that environment, into that environment, and leverage those existing hardware resources so that uh, an institution can actually take advantage of our service, our software, and our, our product without having to deploy a whole new infrastructure to um, deploy security across the enterprise. And that's, we view that as a huge competitive advantage for us. Okay, well, thank you for your time today, Mr. Marchwinski. Thank you. Thank you. This is Richard Sorr with BankInfoSecurity.com. I'm at Black Hat 2007 Las Vegas. This is Billy Austin, the CSO of Saint. Billy, can you talk to us about um, Saint, in case any of our listeners are not familiar with your company? Yeah, Saint Corporation is, uh, was developed in 1998 and is the developer of vulnerability and compliance solutions for the, uh, for the government industry as well as commercial organizations. Uh, we develop uh, vulnerability scanning, penetration testing, and vulnerability management solutions. Are you developed with the original Saint tool? Uh, yes, we are. Uh, we actually all come from the government space. We took over a project called Satan in the middle 90s, uh, and then we commercialized that 98-99 time frame and uh, developed resources on that, primarily sold to the government and then started selling the commercial fact, uh, sector around year 2000. Is it an integrated software solution or is it hardware-based? Uh, we actually have solution offerings that are both software, downloadable software for the customer, or they can actually order what's called a pre-configured appliance, um, or we also have internet-based services as well, so they can log on through a friendly user interface, be able to log on and schedule their assessments and audits. How is your company positioned to deal with issues of compliance, especially PCI DSS compliance? Um, basically, what we've done is we've created default uh, policies or a variety of different policies, and one can actually go in and select uh, PCI compliance uh, vulnerability policy. And once they've performed that audit, uh, they can go in and then select a PCI compliance report that meets those industry regulations. 
So and those will not only include like your severity rankings of high, medium, and low vulnerabilities, but they will also include the new CVSS uh, score system um, that meets the PCI uh, auditor's requirements. Is your product scalable down to the very small banks of credit unions, or is it more of an interclass, enterprise class product? Um, we actually have a variety of different offerings that um, basically are tailored to the small medium business which uh, you know could rank from 10 to 25 different what we classify as IP addresses or you could classify them as users all the way up to enterprise from you know up to 500,000 IPs. So we pretty much have a solution that covers across the broad. What's the takeaway that our listeners can get from this conference? What are some emerging threats or emerging issues that your company is dealing with? Uh, in terms of emerging threats, um, you know, what we do is, um, you know, after you perform your audit, we also have what's called an integrated penetration testing solution. So that basically includes all of the attacks and, and exploits that bad guys are using. So, and our philosophy is, is that every, not only to meet PCI and GOBA type requirements, but we want to be able to give the same type of hacker tools to the banks and to our customers so that way they can be able to perform those same types of techniques to simulate the hacker process. So how's your tool different than, for example, the Metasploit open source tool? Um, well, once again, what we've done is, well, uh, first thing is we're a commercial organization and we're dedicated to supplying new exploits, new attacks, uh, technical support, product updates. Um, being a commercial organization, we can commit to that, and that's what our customers are looking to. In addition to that, uh, it's a nice, easy-to-use interface. It's easy to use. You don't need to know C or Perl or Python or any of those programming languages. Yet at the same time, it's very flexible, intuitive, and customizable. Um, the neat thing about uh, SANE is once you've run your vulnerability scan, you can actually perform exploits within the data analysis of the vulnerability scanner without having to waste time uh, using something like Nessus and then moving over to uh, Metasploit to uh, figure out which exploits are going to work and which ones aren't. Okay. Well, thanks for your time today, Billy. Okay. Thank you very much. This is Richard Sorbus, BankInfoSecurity.com. We're at Black Hat 2007 Las Vegas. I'm with Alan Wilson, Vice President of Research at SecureWorks. Alan, can you talk about what SecureWorks is announcing at today's Black Hat? At uh, Black Hat 2007, SecureWorks is uh, announcing a couple of tools, uh, one of which is uh, an emerging research project called Caffeine Monkey. Uh, this project enables us to identify uh, methods used by attackers on various websites on the Internet, and by identifying some of these methods, we're able to uh, better protect our clients through through our various service offerings. Um, the other tool that, uh, that we're doing is uh, it's a very technical tool that assists security researchers in uh, identifying types of vulnerabilities in software and looking at Trojan and malware code out there. Um, or malicious software in a way that, that uh, um, facilitates their analysis process. So it, it's really uh, tools to enable the security researchers and uh, the security community uh, out there to do their job more efficiently. 
Your company is one of the largest managed security service providers in the banking industry. What are some of the changes that you're seeing in terms of the threat picture, and what are hackers doing to try to escape evasion these days? Hackers nowadays are, are really, uh, their, their targets are uh, moving from uh, the financial institutions, uh, they're kind of broadening, so they're, they're going after uh, e-commerce sites, but now they're also going after the end users and trying to compromise them as, as sort of a, uh, a foothold, if you will, into financial institutions. So by compromising clients of financial institutions, they're able to gain access to individuals' accounts and, and basically manipulate funds or do transactions. Uh, impersonating particular users by, by compromising their home PCs. So how does your service work once you've detected an evolving threat or a new type of threats happening on certain websites? How do you disseminate that information or how do your clients take advantage of that information? Our security researchers go through a process where they're constantly monitoring the Internet. Uh, they have relationships with other folks in the security industry and other vendors, and they're constantly monitoring all this information. They collect this information into, into a centralized place. Um, we have a threat intelligence service where we make this information available. Um, we also then take that as kind of the next phase and do very detailed analysis on it. So we want to understand everything that's out there around the particular threat and the vulnerability. Um, if there's uh, particular attackers out there, we want to we look at who they are. Then we kind of go through a prioritization process where we say, what's important? What's important to our client base? Uh, is this an attack that is in software that's likely used in financial institutions? The last piece is we take that analysis and we actually uh, codify that into components that get delivered into our various service offerings. Well, once your research is determined what's happening in terms of evolving threats or changing threats, how do you actually use that information to protect your clients? We, we collect this information out uh, from a variety of sources. So we're looking at uh, advisories that come out from various vendors that may be security related. Uh, we're looking at uh, information that may be passed to us through the security industry and our network of contacts. Um, we have a, a variety of sources, uh, uh, open source and, and uh, proprietary, that we're looking at. Um, to collect information, and we, we have a database internally that we store all this information in. Uh, then we move to kind of the next phase in our workflow where we, we do uh, analysis on that information, and we're going through and looking at uh, very specific technical details of how things work, who likely attackers are to use this type of information, um, how prevalent is uh, a particular vulnerable product in our client base, so is this a, a purely a banking application? or is this uh, an application that may be popular on a desktop like Microsoft Windows, or is this you know, maybe a, a small open source project that is, is not very popular. Um, depending on what that information is, we can go through and prioritize that and basically decide um, where do we need to focus the resources to, to get protections to our client? Um, and we look at the high-risk, high-threat types of things and, and do those first. Uh, and take the, the analysis and codify that into uh, basically protections that we push out to devices that live on our client's network. Um, 
that act as gateways to decide what's good traffic and bad traffic, uh, and we block the bad traffic and the attacks that are out there. What's the takeaway from Black Hat this year? What are, what are we learning from the hacking community in terms of new threats that people need to be paying more attention to? I think we're seeing a lot more uh, techniques that folks are using. So we're seeing a, a lot of particular ways that people are exploiting things. Uh, we're seeing some of the uh, more traditional uh, attacks on things like buffer overflows, uh, heap overflows, uh, in just very technical ways. But we're seeing new methods for, for doing them here. So just variations on existing attack methods and attack vectors? Correct. Correct. There are some there are some new things being uh, being discussed as well, but a lot of uh, the, you know, a lot of kind of the traditional things presented in a new way in a new light. Okay. Well, thank you for your time today, Alan. Thank you. This is Richard Sorbs, BankInfoSecurity.com, and Black Hat 2007. I'm here with Greg Peters, a board advisor for Sotiera, and also Derek Gabbard who's going to be discussing on the launch of their new product today. Derek, can you tell us what your tool is and what's being announced today at Black Hat? Sure. Uh, at the conference here, we're actually launching our network analysis tool suite, which is a, uh, a fusion engine to gather uh, information about the global internet uh, from a number of different sources and pull it together to one real-time internet model. Uh, to, up to this point, it's been difficult to have a real accurate picture of what the internet looks like at any one given time because the, the, it's so big and complex and constantly changing. But we have partners that are, are feeding us um, data from thousands of points of presence out on the internet that we synthesize and fuse together into one model. And then we have a visualization front end that allows for um, detailed uh, analysis of the, the uh, results of that fused data. So you can look at the autonomous system layer uh, all the way down to IP addresses, uh, CIDR blocks, and have a, a very clear picture of what the internet looks like at any one time for, from uh, your perspective or you know, for, for uh, uh, hosts and networks out on the internet that you don't control, which is something that's pretty new. You also have a simulation solution. Could you talk about that and how that could be useful? Sure. Um, some of the founders of this area uh, were very instrumental in the building and, and the maturing of the cyber defense exercise for the, the uh, Federal Service Academies uh, uh, engage in every year. And so we recently created the, uh, a, uh, a product called Ceteria Evaluate, which allows for an incident response team or a red team or anyone that you want to evaluate as far as a, a network security uh, operation or capability goes to be brought into a virtual environment, uh, hundreds or potentially thousands of virtual hosts in an enterprise network uh, configuration that looks similar to the client's enterprise network uh, configuration, and where an incident response team can be attacked and experience uh, anomalies and exercise injects uh, over the course of the exercise. And uh, we can evaluate the teams and the individuals' capabilities technically. We can evaluate their processes and procedures. We can evaluate their strengths and weaknesses as an incident response organization and give them feedback as to what they did well and what they didn't do well, where they need areas, where they have areas they need improvement upon and uh, where they're strong. And with some organizations that have compliance issues, we can actually use it as a way to check off that the organization is in compliance with whatever their uh, regulatory compliance issues are from an incident response perspective. Mr. Peters, could you talk about what's happening on the Internet today and why these new tools and network analysis are so critical? 
Yes, um, as we see the banking industry putting more and more of their applications over the internet instead of just the private lands and WANs traditionally that they've been riding on, it increases a, a, the amount of vulnerabilities that are outside of the control of the IT staff that currently manages the, the networks for the banks. With the revenue growing, it's also impacting the P&L more and more if there is an issue. Today, if, the, if there's a service degradation issue in the networks that are provided by the internet service providers for the banks, they have to rely on the internet service provider to report to them what's going on on the internet. They don't have the tools to look at the entire internet themselves. And for instance, if there was a natural disaster, an earthquake or a hurricane that caused a, an outage, or if there was a malicious attack, a virus or a worm that caused service degradation of some type or denial of service, or even if there was a fiber cut, something very simple, it could impact the, the throughput and the service level that a bank is able to offer to their consumers and also to their branches if the IT staff does not have visibility to either reroute or remedy the problem on their own or even to pick up the phone and call the, the ISP and say, what are you going to do about it to fix this for us? So this has tremendous applications to make for making the, I, the banking industry more self-sufficient, more knowledgeable to take corrective action or even proactive action before it impacts the business model. How do you gather all this data? I mean, what is, are you part of the organizations or do you have your own distribution? Uh, we have a number of partners who are, are deployed, as I said before, out in the uh, points of presence in thousands of places out on the internet that are gathering uh, a bunch of different internet routing and, um, and internet traffic data that they are packaging up and sending to us that we are integrating into our product, into the, the uh, data that we, that we use together to get the internet model. Um, in pretty close to real time. So, you know, sometimes we're looking at updates every four hours, sometimes every two hours, sometimes every five minutes, and our model takes that into account and, and builds based with, with, uh, with very good algorithms, high intelligence, uh, the accurate model based on all those uh, data feeds that we have from our partners. Now, would your service software be something that a small credit union or a smaller bank would be able to utilize, or is it something only at an enterprise scale? Uh, sure. The, the, the simulation and exercise product, any organization that has an incident response or, uh, unit within their enterprise uh, could easily benefit from it to make their incident response teams better. Uh, as far as the network analysis tools, uh, if you have a reasonably sized enterprise, you know, a few thousand hosts or more within your enterprise, uh, and, and are geographically dispersed or globally distributed, or you have real significant issues with uptime and availability uh, for your customers, for your partners, for your clients, whoever, uh, there it, it probably is worth the investment to, ha to have that clear picture of what's going on on the Internet. And, and again, we can even overlay uh, malicious activity information from some of our partners they're collecting on the Internet to show kind of the health and security perspective that you're seeing from your enterprise. So you don't have to be a, a fortunate 100 uh, financial services organization to, to uh, gain benefits from both the network analysis and the simulation exercise tool. Well, thank you for your time today. This is Richard Swart with BankInfoSecurity.com. I'm at Black Hat 2007 Las Vegas with Brian Sullivan, who's Senior Research Engineer for Spy Dynamics, Billy Hoffman, who's the Lead Security Engineer, and Eric Peterson with the Product Research Group. Let's start with you, Brian. Can you talk about AJAX and why is it becoming a common technology? Sure, that's a great question. Um, AJAX is actually a, a set of technologies that allow a web application to uh, 
to be more like a traditional desktop application. Um, this is this is great because the desktop has a lot of great functionality, like drag and drop, a really responsive UI. But then on on top of that, you still have all the benefits of web, like the ease of deployment. So it's it's rapidly becoming a very very popular te technology. Although there's a huge push in these days to adopt web services and web applications, what are the security threats of web applications and how is your product addressing those? Well, the, the main problem is, is that when people are deploying these applications or exposing web APIs and things like that, normally they are the only people interfacing to them. And so they're not going to use them inappropriately. They're not going to call them with bad data. They're not going to try to access them without being authorized beforehand. But these things are now public and exposed. And so malicious users, malicious attackers can directly talk to these APIs, which maybe were hidden inside of a mainframe app before, but have now kind of been pushed to the perimeter of your organization you know, through a web front end or things like that. And so now they're exposed to people. And so things that maybe uh, you know, were tested more for functionality, is it operating correctly, you know, calculating this or calculating that, now are being attacked from a security point of view, you know, given bad data, trying to have malicious things done to them. Well, Eric, could you talk to us about how the adding of web front ends to mainframes is a trend in the financial industry, and also how is it becoming a problem? Certainly. So really what you see is a lot of applications that have driven the financial business uh, have been built, uh, you know, historically on the mainframe, and uh, and they've been driving a lot of the core business processes. In order to enable things like online banking, web, uh, web banking, things like that, you've had to tie these systems together. A lot of times those systems were tied together quickly without thought to the impact of taking a mainframe application that worked fine for 20 years, now giving it a web front end and allowing millions of users to access it versus that bank teller. In doing that, you've you know, taken a, uh, an application that was tr traditionally behind the scenes uh, in a controlled environment and now opened it up for uh, attack uh, to, uh, to a much wider audience. And a lot of people haven't been thinking about that threat, and it's definitely one that people need to pay uh, very close attention to as they integrate uh, those types of applications. Well, the Emerging PCI DSS standard talks about the need to either adopt static security code review or web application firewalls. Can you talk about the products that you're releasing and what's innovative or different about what's happening now than versus 18 months ago or two years ago in the market? So because of PCI, we see a lot of decisions being made uh, that uh, require uh, the implementation of uh, web location security technology. Um, and, and some of the things that Spyonix is doing are uh, improving our uh, capabilities for our assessment tools to analyze web locations, find vulnerabilities uh, in the code, uh, in the applications themselves. Um, but also using uh, some of our developer technology called Secure Objects, we can harden the application and incorporate application firewall capabilities into the application itself blocking it down and protecting against attack. Uh, this is absolutely critical if you're doing online transactions. And with PCI now, there are legal and monetary ramifications if you don't take these uh, these things into account. So very critical to anybody in the financial sector. Going uh, Brian, you had a presentation today on AJAX specifically. If you had to send a message to a CIO of an organization about the use of AJAX, what one message would you want them to know? I would say that AJAX certainly has uh, is a very powerful technology. There's a lot of neat things you can do, and the economic benefits of having a responsive web app are just too too um, beneficial to resist. But you know everything has its price. You can make an application that is responsive and also secure. Uh, our main point today was that most of the resources out there don't tell you how to do that, and so if you are trying to learn, you're going to be at a loss. Yeah,
Right. Exactly um, what, what Billy was just saying. That there's so many so many resources out there, places places for people to go to, to gain information that are more focused on how to do things in, in a pretty way or in a, in a performance-oriented way rather than in a security-oriented way. Um, so we're, we're actually trying to address this with, with a book of our own uh, called AJAX Security that, that will help people to be able to implement AJAX in, in a secure way. Well, thank you for your time today. This is Richard Swartz, BankInfoSecurity.com. I'm at Black Hat 2007 in Las Vegas with Neil Hartzell, Vice President of Tipping Point. Good morning, Neil. I'd like to have you explain to our listeners what Tipping Point is doing in the market. Sure. So the, uh, our whole focus in the market is to continue uh, taking down you know, malware-type attacks, everything ranging from the traditional ones that we know about, viruses, worms, trojans, all the way up to the newer attacks, which are uh, application focused in nature like UIP or attacks directed at the e-commerce infrastructure, uh, trying to get at something like a database with valuable information. One thing that we've been hearing over and over here at Black Hat is the fact that so many attacks are very focused attacks, blended attacks. We're not seeing the you know, blatant scanning that we just see in the past as opposed to very laser precision attacks. We also know that a lot of those attacks are coming in as encrypted or they're coming in tunneled. How does your product deal with that, and what are some of the things that our financial um, executives need to be aware of in terms of what sort of network infrastructure you need to have these days to deal with these blended attacks? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say the, the first thing is, remember, uh, these highly targeted attacks are really a set of uh, tools and a set of techniques that have been around for a good while. And so there are still products that can break that problem set down, and IPS is very good at this, and see things like reconnaissance missions or, uh, you know, people trying to sniff particular protocols or uh, source IP, destination IP address uh, kinds of things. And uh, it's very possible to see these independent uh, techniques and, and break down the sort of blended attack, which is more sophisticated, but the techniques aren't really that, that new. So it's easy to do that, and uh, that's, I don't know if that's getting to where you're... I guess my question was, how do you deal with encrypted traffic? Yeah. So encrypted traffic, um, there's two things. One, you know, you can't, you'll never be able to encrypt all traffic or else you make IT blind. And so the question is, can you identify encrypted traffic? And if you can, can you look at the, the pattern or nature of that traffic and detect whether that is malicious or anomalous? And there are strong ways of doing that, and those techniques are being talked a lot about at this conference. And so there's really two things. Can you detect it? And then can you determine from its pattern if it's a benevolent form of encryption or a malicious form of encryption, and there are ways to do that. If it is something you need to investigate, uh, one of the things we're doing is opening up an application programmer interface, which allows us to see encrypted traffic coming into the network, peel it off, send it to a device where it can be decrypted into clear text, then we can analyze that before it gets to its destination and make a decision as to whether or not it's malicious or not. So there are ways to take down a decrypted, uh, you know, decrypted uh, a tunnel and then look into that for the kinds of things you'd look for in clear text as well. And many IDS and IPS systems are used mostly at the perimeter, but there's also techniques now where people are using them inside their networks for additional layers of protection. Can you talk about how your customers are using your products? 
Sure. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, the traditional use of an IPS is at the WAN perimeter, that point between the Internet and your, your corporate intranet. And that's the first place people always put an intrusion prevention system. But the other key places are in front of your data center where all of your critical applications and data store reside, uh, remote office, branch office locations, your e-commerce uh, area which may be just inside your firewall, just outside the DMZ. Uh, these are also very popular places to put the IPS and the reason for that is the filters that we run and the kinds of detection mechanisms and prevention mechanisms we have are just as valuable at those points as they are at the WAM perimeter, particularly when you start to think about the insider attack problem. The, you know, putting a product at the WAM perimeter doesn't do a thing for an insider attack. What sort of reporting or dashboard capacity do your IPS products have? Well, there's, there's two. There's, of course, the, the management system that we have that gives you information about the performance of our product, things it's catching, and, and there's the general security elements that, that it, it does. Secondly, we've got hooks into all the major SIM vendors, the Arc sites, the IntelliQuest. So if you want to roll up activity reporting from our product into a SIM type environment, that's, that's all in place. So, you know, the idea is to uh, name as much activity as you can so people know that this particular kind of attack is being blocked. But, you know, most importantly, you just want to know that the, the bad traffic is being stopped and you're not seeing an impact on applications from a latency point of view and you're not generating false positives which cause someone to go chase something that's not a real issue. So most of our reporting is wrapped around those issues. Well, thanks for time today, Neil. Sure. Thank you. This is Richard Swart with BankInfoSecurity.com. I'm with Danny Allen, the Chief Scientist and Director of Security Research with Watchfire. And I'd like you to tell our listeners, what is it that Watchfire is doing these days that could benefit executives in the financial industry? Well, the statistics right now indicate that about 75% of the attacks are happening over the software layer. And from our internal research at Watchfire and from public research, the statistics say that about 90% of applications are vulnerable. And if you take a single vulnerability that's well known like cross-site scripting, which is often used in phishing attacks, for example, against banks and used in attacks against the clients of applications, so people who are logging into the banking software. You take one vulnerability like that and there's a group last year that put out um, statistics based on 30,000 applications they had evaluated, 85% of them were vulnerable to that one problem. So Watchfire is very focused, the security research team, first of all, to understand what the malicious individuals are, individuals are doing with those attacks, and then secondly, to develop new ways to exploit or understand them, and then we build that into our product set. So what we want to do is help banks, not just in production environments, but also in their pre-production environments and across the entire organization, understand where those vulnerabilities exist, and not just to chase problems, but also to understand why it's happening so that they can build the root causes into their organization, into the processes so they can understand and prevent it from happening in the future. So that is the core focus of us. We, we do analysis of the infrastructure that the applications are running on as well, but most of the time we are looking at the attacks that are actually happening, we're researching potential attacks that might happen, and then we're building that into a solution set. Now, we offer uh, services so that we can do penetration tests ourselves. We also offer software. The most successful clients that we have in the banking industries are ones that began by using software, and usually that begins in the security audit team, so before an application goes live, they would do that analysis. But as you well know, 
um, banks are very large assets on the web application front because it's very cheap. It's, a, it's an easy channel to communicate with their customers. Um, and they want to scale it across that entire channel. And what happens is the security audit team just becomes a bottleneck. And they're not able to do the comprehensive analysis that they need to do. And so our most successful clients in the banking industry are those that begin in the software, but then they begin to build this into the process. And our services organization helps them to do that, builds it back into the um, secure development life cycle, and so that they're catching these things earlier. And that allows the security audit folks to not be focused on these things like cross-site scripting or the low-hanging problems that we see all the time, but focus on the more sophisticated things like privilege escalation and access controls and things that are a lot more difficult to automate. The challenge is right now that we have security auditors focused on problems that are, are actually pretty easy to find if people know what to look for and how to look for it. And that's what our software does. With the recent acquisition by IBM, are there going to be any changes in your product suite? So we have two core products in the security space. One is AppScan and the other is AppScan Enterprise. Those are not going to change at all. In fact, we are hiring developers to enhance and continue to build those because we, Watchfire actually is nine of the top ten banks and we wouldn't want to alienate those as our customers. We want to improve and, and uh, build upon the product sets that we have. What you will see is the intellectual property about how to do that testing is going to be built into the IBM Rational Suite. And so we have a whole team right now that is focused on that integration transition so that if a bank is using IBM rational or maybe they're programming an Eclipse, the intellectual property and the testing that we can do right now in our product that will be built into their development and build processes to make it easier to catch these things um, earlier in the life cycle. And that will result in cost savings for large financial institutions that have a, a defined process already. And so our, our current products are not going to change, but we are going to take that intellectual property and build it into the IBM rational suite. You mentioned that security audit teams oftentimes are only picking up the low-hanging fruit. What is the next to do differently in the way they're pushing their application security? Well, when I said they're catching the low-hanging fruit, they're, large organizations, large banks have a large um, grouping of assets. And the, probably the most limited resource they have are these security auditors. And so if they're trying to get full coverage, they can't go to the depth of analysis that they need to do to actually do the really sophisticated attack. And so what they tend to end up doing is running automated tools themselves or doing a very broad brushstroke. There's a large organization we're working with right now in the financial world that speaks of it as BAVA or Broad Application Vulnerability Assessment and that's, most of the time that's all they're able to do because they have a limited resource trying to analyze this large category of assets. So what we want to do is take that BAVA or the, or the Broad Application Vulnerability Assessment and make that completely automated so that they can focus on the deep application vulnerability assessment. It's not that you're going to get rid of these people. So they can focus their time on things that humans do very well. There are certain types of tasks, certain types of vulnerabilities that automation are never going to catch. And the security auditor should be focused on those things, the things that take human intelligence uh, to focus on. They're best served in doing that, and the organization sees the best return on investment. Well, we have someone considering app, um, purchasing application scanning. What is the one thing that makes your product different from your competitors? So 
the one thing that makes this difference, you'll find in the, in the desktop audit tool or in the security auditor tool that uh, there are a lot of tools out there and they all have very similar capabilities and it's really a war over features and functions that, you know, one person innovates, the other person copies, another person innovates, the other person copies. So at the desktop audit tool, if I was a lone person, there are many very good tools. What makes Watchfire different is that we have a transition path so that as you begin to grow, a bank obviously is not one auditor, it might grow to five auditors and as they begin to grow, we have the capability to consolidate and consume all of those um, pieces of information about the security posture of the organization in one place. And then beyond that, and inherent into that platform is things like issue management, uh, very sophisticated trending, um, control over who can analyze what and where and that type of, of thing. And then we have a roadmap for them to follow on so that as they begin to build this into the life cycle, eventually we have organizations right now that are using this with 8,000 developers. Our competitors can't um, allow that capability because they don't have a web-based solution. But our enterprise product, as you move towards it, we allow a large organization, large banks, to scale this out to the hundreds or thousands of ten or tens of thousands of developers that they have. So what we are offering them is a roadmap to go from you start here begin to understand the, prog um, the, the problem, but then to scale it across the organization. That's where we differentiate ourselves is at the enterprise. We have a, a roadmap that we can take them on. Okay, we'll take up your time today, Danny. Okay, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh,